in my opinion. They'd been advertising this moment for a long time. There was balloons, there were stickers, there were every, everything you could imagine to promote this certain thing. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good day. You see, I'd been watching it as I drove past this place constantly for a while, and uh, it was going up and going up and going up. And then all of a sudden, the building changed colour from a dirty grey to a blue. Sarah. And then all of a sudden, in big letters on, on the side of this building, big yellow letters. Now, I don't have an issue with blue and yellow. In fact, I quite love blue and yellow because that's the colours of Parramatta, you see. And... Uh, Speaking of, they made the finals this year, just saying, first time in a lot. Hey! So, uh, I love blue and yellow, but when it comes to this particular building, not a fan. And it turns out that Ikea opened, and my day, my week, my year has gone to the pot. You see, Ikea has all... Gentlemen, do you feel my pain? I'm getting nods. Thank you. you. You walk in one door and then you can't get out the stupid thing. You have to walk all the way around. Now, I've been playing computer games since I was younger and my map reading skills are pretty good. But I get lost in Ikea. The little lights on the floor with arrows on it don't help at all. Or it could be that this Courtney bounces from side to side all the way along and I just lose where I am. I don't know. But anyway, we were walking through Ikea and I think I was up for about three hours and I tried to use the excuse of, oh, I've got to go move the car so I'll get free parking, which Northlake set me off, by the way. Ridiculous. 40-minute wait in between. Really shit for you guys. Um, I tried to use that excuse, but then she saw something out of the side of her eye, out of the corner of her eye, and it must have been one of those moments where you heard the glory of God just go, ah! She saw a bookcase. Now, she's a teacher. I'm, I'm a teacher as well as sort of pastry type thing. And so we have a lot of books. And she saw this bookcase that was from floor to ceiling. And she must have thought, I must have that. And so she goes, I want that. And like any good husband, I went and found someone in the ugly IKEA uniform and uh, said, we want that. And they said, do you want it in 50,000 different colours? And I said, no, we want that. And they said, what sort of formation do you want it? And I went, I want that. And they said, you're not very creative. And I went, you've done it for me. I don't need to be creative. Anyway, so we walked down the hill, uh, downstairs eventually, and then they said, you've got to go to aisle something and pick it up and all this kind of stuff. Another two hours later, I walk out with all these boxes and then I've got to fit them into the car. So I lay down the seat, push them into the car, and then we do the drive home, get the car into the driveway, unpack the stuff, put it in the lounge room, and then open the box. I don't know why they do it. Flat packs. I hate it. Flat pack. Gentlemen, yes, still nodding. Yes, I've connected with the bloke. That's where I'm heading. They've got instructions, but they don't make sense. We did one last week. 
There, there we go. Thank you, Andrew. It's painful. And so they've got these instructions which sort of say point A, point B and whatever. But you can see in the flat pack, some of the stickers moved. And I was, I was losing my Christian experience with putting this flat pack together because this item had like four different stickers on it and I didn't know which way to go. And so the manual or the instruction manual and all that kind of stuff, it, it opens up by saying, all you'll need is a screwdriver. I'm like, right. And eventually, eventually we got it. And I, I built this stupid looking bookcase, which actually looks pretty good now. Um, I must admit, I did modify it a little bit. Neil, you'll be proud. I over-engineered it, Sarah. Um, and so, this bookcase is now proud in our study. And do you know how long it took? Because we got the big bookcase, so we can add more books to it. It's full. It's full. My consolation prize for putting this bookcase together and going into Ikea to start with is I can put my car models on the top of it. That was my consolation prize. And I went, okay, I see it now. But the thing is, they give you this manual that tells you how to put stuff together. But if something's missing or if the stickers moved or something like that, the manual doesn't really help you that much. Now, I've just bagged out Ikea for a little bit. Bunnings is just as bad. I bought for the garage. So this is a manly purchase. This is all right. You know why? Because it didn't take three hours to drive us there. It took me 15 minutes. I walked. I knew exactly where it was. I walked in, picked it up, went to the cashier, beep, paid the money and got out. Gentlemen, you get what I'm saying there? Beautiful. I just alienated all the ladies in the audience. But I got this thing, same sort of deal. The manual was useless because they'd labelled everything wrong. And you take it back or you take it back and say, this is all wrong and all that kind of stuff. Oh, did you double check it? No, no, I didn't. Got to check that. But the manual is useless unless everything is there and everything is in the right place. An interesting sort of concept. All right. I want you to get out your phones and all that kind of stuff. And if you've got that uh, version app or a Bible app of some sort on your phones, get it out. Have a crack. If you've got a hard copy version of the Bible, that's even better. I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I tried using my phone for, for many years and iPads and all that, especially while I was studying at college because you had to be hip and, and know everyone else and that kind of stuff. I just couldn't stand it. So I like the hard copy. Um, and yeah, you just feel the pages rustling through. But before we get into this topic too much, I think there's Ikea and bunny stores in the back of your head. Okay. Before we get into this topic too much, I must warn you that this book here, this book here is more than just a book. You see, the, throughout history, we have times in, in history where people have died for the contents in this book. Not only just the contents in this book, people have died trying to get this book to other people. You see, this, this information in this book is more than just a manual. And that's what we're going to look at today. You see, a manual is useless unless all the parts align. But with this book, for some reason, even if the parts aren't aligning, it works. And that's what we're going to look at today. So that's my, that's my asterisk at the start.
started my talk today. This book changes lives, whether you like it or not. It certainly does. On that note, little funny side story that I saw on Jesus Walk while I was researching. There's a dude called Voltaire, right? Everyone's heard of Voltaire. Actually, before I keep going there, Jordan. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Jordan. Jordan's birthday today, everyone. Say everyone, well done, mate. I, I won't sing for you, mate, but uh, happy birthday. I just, yeah, I don't know what prompted it. The spirit is moving. Um, the birthday spirit. Where was I? Voltaire. Voltaire was this old dude way back in the 1700s, right? And he was, he was sort of a very opinionated man. And uh, he had an opinion about the Bible that said, the Bible will die out within 100 years. And this is in like 1738 or something like that. He said it would die out in 30 years. Funnily enough, he died. And uh, the blokes at the Geneva Convention that actually put the, the Bible together and all that kind of stuff, transformed his house, check this out, this is funny out, transformed him, his house into a printing press in which they printed the Bible to hand out to other people. It's quite ironic, isn't it? He said, he said that the Bible and the message in the Bible would die out within the next hundred years. It's still going today. I'm talking about it this morning. We talk about it every week. We talk about it most days. We, we think about it. And, and the stuff in the Bible is in everyday life. I was talking to some high school students uh, this week saying that even if you don't believe in this Jesus stuff, it still affects you. Why? Because even the date is set by Jesus. Let's think about it before Christ, after Christ, all that kind of stuff. Speak to it, all the rest of that. It's, it's, you're affected by it. So Voltaire might have got it wrong when he said the Bible will die out in 100 years. We're going to start looking up some texts. They're going to be on the screen as well. Um, but flick through, mark them in your, your little phony device or if you've got a pen, don't be afraid to scribble on the Bible um, because that makes it yours. And so mark it down. All right, we're going to look at Timothy. We're going to go to 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3.16. And we're going to look at some classic texts to start with, but then we're going to go into something a little bit deeper. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy and it says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture. Not just parts of it. All Scripture is God-breathed. And then it gives you sort of what you can use it for. And the interesting one up there is rebuking. The definition of rebuking, so I don't stuff it up, is this. Express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. That is rebuking. But the cool thing is it doesn't stop there because it says that the Bible can be used to rebuke someone, but it says don't stop there. Uh-uh. If you stop there, you've got it wrong because it says correcting and training them. So the Bible might say, yeah, probably don't agree with that, and, and you can use me to back yourself up and say, uh-uh, don't agree with that. But it says, don't just stop there. That leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Don't just stop there. That's not what the Bible's about. It says, continue, correct them, and train them into believing what, or, or working with what the Bible has to say about it. Interesting. Interesting. 
the sentence structure that they have there. We're going to go look at another one, and it's Second Peter, and this is one of my favourites. Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecies never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through human, uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, that Timothy text that we just talked about says that all Scripture is God-breathed and we sort of get the picture of God sitting on someone's shoulder, John, if you want. John sitting in his jail cell, hanging out, and there's a little God sitting on his shoulder telling him, you must write this down. Ah, It's saying that all Scripture is God-breathed to come from him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For prophecy never had its own origin in the human will. These dudes didn't just, just randomly go, I'm going to write this down. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried. It's a great word to add in this context of the word this morning. All right, we're going to change tack. They're some of the classic verses that people use for talking about the word and the Bible and how it is used in this context. We're going to flick to John 1. Right? So John, he's, he's sort of one of the youngest, younger disciples. That's another discussion we were talking about this week and how old were the disciples. But John was one of the younger disciples. He actually spoke Greek and wrote in the Greek most fluently and most decoratively, uh, poetically. Might be a better word than decoratively. Um, so John was very poetic in the way that he wrote his encounters with Jesus. And the way he opened up uh, his book was like this. He said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you start, that make sense? Good. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, let's go to verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, right? So he, the words turned into a he was with God in the beginning. All right, verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that, he, that has been made. All right, so he's made some stuff. So through him, it's still a him there. Let's go to verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. verse 1 we have this concept of it's talking about the word it's talking about oh there's verse 8 the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it interesting in the in the in that first verse you we've probably all worked it out that it's actually talking about jesus it's actually talking about jesus is the word and and it's very interesting in the fact that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all that kind of stuff. If you go back to Genesis, we have God and creating the earth, and and He doesn't He doesn't just sort of mold everything and create everything like we have to with our hands and whatever. God just spoke stuff into existence. So John, we have John saying, "In the beginning was the Word." We have God in the beginning creating the earth and he, he does it using words. 
And he does it with this guy, Tim, who we've all worked out is Jesus. You see, the power, the power of the words of God is an amazing thing. If the guy can create, if God, whoever God is, if he can create um, earth, land, water, divide the earth, divide the sky, divide everything else, night, day, land creatures, sea creatures, humans, whatever else, if he can create that just by speaking, apart from the humans, yeah, they made it up. I forget the story now. We'll talk about that. Siri, if you want to look it up, go on now. Um, but if you speak these things into existence, the power of the word of God is an amazing thing. And it's highlighted here by John in, in the New Testament. And John has experienced that firsthand. And the way we're going to look at that today is uh, actually in the book of Mark. We're going to go to the book of Mark and cover a few different things, but um, we won't flip through it today. I don't think we've got time. So I'm just going to sort of give you the simo versions of the story and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. But in the first story I want to talk about this morning is uh, Jesus has fallen asleep. Jesus has fallen asleep. The Word has fallen asleep on a boat. The Word has fallen asleep on the boat and, and a storm rushes up, and it's the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is actually quite shallow. I like to think of the Sea of Galilee, has anyone been to Lake Cassarabra up at the Noosa, Noosa River and all that kind of stuff? It's quite shallow. Whenever a wind picks up in, at Lake Cassarabra, you get these massive shocks, and, and if you're in a boat or a canoe or something like that, it is quite hard to paddle back to Alarma Point where you put in at. And the Sea of Galilee is quite similar to that in the fact that it's quite shallow. So when a wind picks up, when a wind picks up, it sort of does these dumping waves. And if you're in a little sort of punt fishing boat type thing, it can be quite drastic. And so the disciples are freaking out. But here we have the Word. Here we have Jesus sleeping in the boat. And we all kind of know the story where the disciples are freaking out and, and you sort of imagine sort of Peter and James and Andrew and John and all those kind of guys sort of, sort of running over to him, sort of shaking him to wake him up. And, and once Jesus is awake, he goes, what's wrong? I love that. What's wrong? We're going to die. We're all going to die. Sort of image from the South Park, more animated sort of drama. <sighs> this is a bad movie. But we have these disciples freaking out. And Jesus just sort of gets up. And, and I, 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 I don't know, my imagination sort of plays through like movies does. And so I sort of picture Jesus going, what's wrong? All right. And he doesn't say anything else. All right. And I sort of picture Jesus sort of casually sort of, just been sleeping, doing a stretch, all that kind of stuff, maybe a scratch. He sort of walks up sort of to the front of the boat, stands there. And, and the kids' story sort of suggests that he yells it at the, at the wind and the waves. But I like to think of him just going, all right, stop now. And the wind and waves sort of just go, still. And the reason why I think of that is that he didn't just scream it at the wind and the waves. It's because in the Old Testament, 
We have a dude that's hanging out in a cave trying to find Jesus, trying to find God. And, and he found God in a soft, still voice, whisper. And so when Jesus stands up on that boat, I sort of imagine him going, uh, Time to start. And the Sea of Galilee is glass. Wind's blowing. Which means that the disciples all need to paddle. Jesus says he sent us in there. story a bit later on we have jesus hanging out on the top of a hill and he'd been trying to get away from people but people just like to hang out with jesus and he's sitting up on top of the hill and and the sun's going down and everyone's starting to get hungry and the and the disciples go we need to sort food out for these guys and jesus jesus says all right see you at the round and all that kind of stuff and they come back with this little boy little boy's got five loaves and and Jesus sort of um, says, G'day, Andrew was the apostle that brought him to Jesus. Andrew is a very interesting character in the Bible. So if you get the time to do a study on Andrew, um, he's not mentioned a lot. But every time he's mentioned in the Bible, he's bringing someone to Jesus. It's very interesting. So Andrew is mentioned here, and he's bringing this little boy to Jesus. And, and the little boy sort of offers up his lunch. And Jesus sort of, I imagine, would have sort of patted him on the head. And then the next bit of uh, text says that Jesus offered a grace, if you will, offered this food to the Lord. He said a prayer over the food. Word. And then he started breaking the bread. And then I don't know how he did the fish, but the fish, the fish multiplied. Those words that he said, those words that he said must have been powerful. And, and not only were they powerful enough to feed 5,000 men, just men were counted. So you'd easy hit 10,000, easy. Not only did it feed that many people, but there was leftovers. There was leftovers. He doesn't want to just, the words that he uses, he doesn't just want give to you, give you enough. He wants to give you enough and more. It's a very cool story. If you, if you look into it a bit more, we'll move on. We'll go to another one. We've got um, Peter's mum. Peter's mum had been crook for a long time and, and not feeling well. Jesus comes in, heals her. You've got countless stories of lepers in the Bible where Jesus puts his hands on them and heals them. You've got blind people where Jesus puts, spits in the mud, puts, puts it on their eyes, speaks to him and says, go and wash it off. And you didn't know it goes and wa- wash it off. It's cleaning away what's going on with the, with the blind man and he's healed. The words of Jesus are a powerful thing because he is the word. He is the word. There's another story, and this one's found in Matthew and in Luke. And it's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he's passed away. And he's, he's been dead for a few days. And the disciples aren't quite getting it. Um, because he said that he was just sleeping and they're thinking, oh, yeah, he's just taking a nap. But he's been dead for, for a few days. 
and he's got the, the whole sort of mummification clothes on and been put in a cave, the rock's been sealed over the top and, he's, and Lazarus' family is weeping in the background with all the, all the city mourners because that was a job back in the day. You could be a mourner for someone. I don't know how you, you know, crack out the onions sort of when you're, when you're uh, start crying. I don't know. But his family were hanging out with the mourners and um, they, they came up to Jesus and, and said on numerous occasions that where were you? If you would have been here, he would have been healed. They didn't quite get it either. Jesus walks over. He says, take me to where your brother is lying. And so he walks over to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away. And everyone's going, oh, it's going to smell. So they roll away the stone and, and, um, and, and Jesus sort of, just before that happened, it's that moment time where it's mentioned that Jesus wept. Jesus cried because he dearly loved this, this person. And I, I, I'm tipping that on the side of things, Jesus wept because no one was getting what he was doing. And so he, he says, roll away the stone. And so they roll away the stone and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I don't know how he did it, but Lazarus came up, waddling in his clothes. And then Jesus says something else, and he says, get those grave clothes off him. Take those clothes off him. And there's multiple different things that you can pull out of this text, but the one I want to get this morning is that the words of Jesus remove the confines of death. When Jesus said, take those clothes off him, he was removing Lazarus from the bounds of the grave. The words of Jesus were powerful because Jesus is the word. Hebrews 4 verse 12, I'm pretty sure I got this one up on the screen. Put it on this side. No, thank you. Hebrews 4 verse 12. Just want to make sure I'm uh, reading the devices, slide there on the devices, however it works. Hebrews 4 verse 12, check this out, this is key. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We're going to pull this text apart for a little bit if you, if you bear with me, because this text has some awesome stuff in it. And we're going to start off with, for the word of God is alive and active. You see, this thing can't sit still. This thing can't sit still. If you hear the words of this book, if you read the words of that book, they are life-changing. If anything, it's a doing word, the whole word, if that makes sense. It's a verb. Yeah. I listened one class and I went. It's alive and and it's active. We'll come back to that alive bit. Sharper than his double-edged sword. There were multiple swords in, the, in, in, in Bible times. You had a sword that had a, had a one edge that had been sharpened, then you got a double-edged sword, which was really good for spearing people. And so this is sharper than any double-edged sword, just meaning that it can cut through anything. It can cut through anything. Why? And we've just found out when we're talking about Lazarus, because God, Jesus, has power over death. And if Jesus is the word, then, it, then the word is sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This stuff 
in this book is life-changing. The stuff in this book is life-changing. It's more than a manual that we all sort of sort of lean on. It's more than than what we've been led to believe in the past because it's got great stuff in it. It's got great life stories and all that, but it's deeper than that because it's alive and active. Jesus, when he was here on earth, was hanging out with people that needed more than just words. Jesus, when he was here on earth, was hanging, he was hanging out with people that needed more than, than just kind words, more than just a smile. He would hang out with the lepers, as we've talked about. He'd hang out with the sick, as we've talked about. He'd even hang out with dead people. We've talked about it. Jesus, the Word, is alive and well. And that's not even the final story. He was walking along the road that was bits of, that had bits of like pot, broken pot on it, rubbish from the day next door, or the day next door, sorry, rubbish <laughs> from the previous day. Whoops, that went out. Rubbish from the previous day. And he was walking along and, and he had a load and he was carrying a load and, and he couldn't carry it anymore and he just fell down. He was just physically exhausted. You see, the night before or the morning before, he'd been whipped, he'd been flogged, he'd been spat on, he put a, had a crown on his head. And, 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 and people were mocking him. He wasn't just physically beaten, he was, he was verbally beaten and, and he was walking along this path. Blood spots would have been dripping down onto the road. And as he fell down onto his knees, bits of pot, rocks, glass, whatever they used back in the day on the roads and stuff, would have cut into his knees. And, and, and probably fell face first and added more. Oh, I just hit the microphone, sorry. So he would have added more cuts and bruises to his face. He's walking along the road. And all the eyes on the side of the road are focused on this object that is just, just sort of stumbling and bumbling around. There's one guy that stood out from the rest. His name is Simon. They pointed to him and said, You carry this cross. So Simon walks over. He had the privilege of picking that cross up off Jesus. The word Simon heard was take this cross from this man. Simon heard words. Simon picked up the cross, put it on however he carried it, walked alongside Jesus to the hill. Simon took the cross down. Romans did what they did. Hand out. <laughs> Hand out. Feet. Put him up on the cross. Sort of still picture Simon standing at the foot of the cross with everyone else as they put it up. As they, as they put it up, as they drop it into the hole, you sort of get the jolt sort of factor. 
And as Jesus is on the cross, you sort of picture everyone around them looking up at him. And there's a sign above his head saying that he's the king of the Jews. Even those words have power. Even those words mean something. And this guy's on the cross and he's got other people beside him, whatever, and he's chatting to them and, and, and he gives them good news. And the words that Jesus spoke on the hill to the, to the, to the other um, thief on the cross, and he says, you will be with me in paradise. He gave forgiveness. He gave life to someone that was dying on the cross next to him with the words that he said. Why? Because he is the word. forward a little bit getting closer to the end of the day there's a big noise and if you look in the book of Mark it tells you that the whole place is dark and the, the curtain in the temple had been ripped from top to bottom and all these different symbolic things but we get to the end we get to the end and, the, and the, these words that stick with us. Jesus speaks. Three words. It is finished. When I was younger, <coughs> um, my brother and I would uh, get into some arguments um, over over some great things. Um, jelly beans, he got more than me. Um, even over toast in the morning. Um, we would argue over who's because we only had a toaster that had two holes in it, and so we always had to. We're growing boys; we had two different ones, and so his turn it was to have toast, and mum and dad would have to intervene and have give one each to start with, and then another one, each, which worked better anyway because it tastes better. Um, we'd fight over whose turn it was to drive the the little go kart dad had, or we'd fight over um, whose turn it was. I don't know, watch TV, choose what to watch in. Uh, for some reason, Tim would never choose football. And no matter how much I persuaded him, he just wouldn't. I don't know why. I don't know why. But anyway, we'd fight over the, the meanest little things. We never used to fight over washing up. We never used to fight over cleaning the car. We never used to fight over mowing the lawn. We used to fight over the whippersnapper because it's more funny. Um, we never used to fight over... Uh, washing the dog or taking the dog for a walk or, or clipping the dog or whatever that was. We never used to fight over taking over the bin. We only fought over things that, that mattered to us. We only fought over these things. And, and we'd sort of, quite often, uh, it'd start off with a verbal shout, but boys being boys, we'd sort of start flinging arms and everything around the place, yeah, or... Or being a football fan, I'd sort of line up my shoulder on my brother and just sort of drive him in a bit. I was the little big brother. Um, yeah, so much so that we used to put bins and stuff around the house um, full of pasta bread and all this kind of stuff. We were great. We're good men. We don't fight about much anyway. Um, we, we, the verbal fights that we had were interesting ones. Because, you know, you're growing up and, and mum and dad are, are well, I don't know, quite, um, I don't know, protective with what we would say when we're growing up. So we wouldn't use, 
you know, we wouldn't swear at each other or, or whatever, but there would be sort of pointed arguments about we know stuff that mum and dad didn't or mum and dad don't know. They really did, but mum and dad didn't know things. So we'd hint to each other, but we'd tell our parents about the things that we'd done. Does that make sense? So it was the ultimate bargain, blackmail. Yeah, I was looking for the word, blackmail. That's pretty much what it was. And so um, so one day we were had this particular argument. I can't even remember what it was, but we were at each other. We were at each other, and it was flying. And, um, and it was in the backyard, so who knows what the neighbours thought. And uh, we were just yelling at each other and all this kind of stuff. And, and then mum comes in. Mum comes in and says, I'll get your father. And that was, a, that was an automatic, oh, I've done something wrong here. And um, so anyway, we stopped and dad come home. Dad come home and, and he said, I heard you guys were talking about this stuff. And, and it was a heated debate and blah, blah, blah and all this kind of stuff. Dad just held up what we were fighting over. And walked away from us. And he said, I'm having the final word. And I thought to myself, hey, that's pretty cool. I want to be a parent. <laughs> I'm having the final word. And I went, huh, that's interesting. I'm having the final word. And that was only one occasion that it happened on. I'm having the final word. Or I'm having the last hurrah. Or I'm having the whatever. Here we have Jesus on the cross. We have Jesus on the cross, and the final words that Jesus says is, it is finished, done, dusted, kaput, everything. It is finished. The word said the word of it is finished. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. And Jesus is saying here, I'm done. I've done it. I've broken death because I've died. We don't hear about Jesus over the Saturday because he's in the tomb. But the next time that we hear about Jesus is that he's risen. We hear about Jesus and, and, and he, he'd finished saying, it is finished. And, and he'd been asleep for a little bit, but now he's awake and he's up and he's alive. If we go back to that text in Hebrews for us, guys, um, that'd be great. If we go back to that text in Hebrews, we'll find out the word of God is alive and active. You see, the word of God died, but then it rose again. The word of God died and rose again and is alive and is active in a world today. Voltaire, when he said the Bible wouldn't last that extra hundred years, had nothing on it. Why? Because the word is alive and active and he can't kill it. Satan tried. He was ineffective. He was just taking a nap. The word... that we think about when we talk about the Word is more than a book. When you talk about Scripture, it is more than what's written on these pages. There's a guy in the States, and his name's Max Licato. You've probably heard about him. He's, he's 
phenomenal writer, author, whatever you would call him, fancy people call him. Phenomenal. I've got a lot of his books. That's what takes up the whole library, pretty much. He's got a book. He's got a book, and it's called God's Story, Your Story. He's just re-released another version of it. And I've been reading that over the last however. I'm just about to finish the last chapter. Brilliant. Brilliant book. If you can get either of them, I'd recommend it. Um, Matthew Pardo's God's Story, Your Story. And it's about um, putting you in God's story, not the other way around. It's not putting God in our story. It's putting you in God's story. And so that got me thinking. And it just so happened that Sharon asked me to talk on this topic when I just started the book. And I thought, wow, I'm still doing it. He's still doing weird things in our lives. He just puts stuff together. God's story, your story. We try and live our life with this book as a guide. We try and live our life with this book as an instruction manual. But ever since sin entered the world, our stickers don't match up. Our, our bits and pieces aren't labelled correctly. And quite often, without the help of the Holy Spirit, this manual might not be any good for us. Because it doesn't relate to what we've got going on. But if you flip that, if you flip it and see this book as something that is alive and is something that is active and you, you put yourself, align yourself with it so that you enter into God's story, you'll notice a huge difference. You'll notice a massive difference. Because this book just doesn't end at the end of Revelation. It's continual. It's continual. And if we, if we think that book was written for us, not quite so. The book was written to show us something. The book was there for us to live with God. Because the Word of God there from the very beginning. The Word of God was there throughout Bible times. The Word of God was there when Voltaire was doing it. The Word of God is here with us today. The Word of God put his arms out on the cross to show that he cared. That's not where it ends. Because in two days' time, he's jumped back on there and said, I'm going to write my story alongside this book. The Word of God. As we go through this series of Ignite, we'll go to prayer next week and then we've got one more after that, and then we'll finish up the series. But we want you to take all these components that we're talking about. We're talking about the Word of God. Next week we're talking about prayer. I want you to take all those components and align yourself with God's story. Put yourself in to God's story. And eventually, when Jesus comes back, We'll be with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that um, 
you you heard an awful lot of what I said. You've seen my face. So I'm impressed. Um, we've talked about many different things for today, and I, I hope it makes sense. And Lord, I pray that um, as we as we look at the Bible as your word, that we will constantly think of Jesus too. Because it is, instead of us being the lead character of, of our story, Lord, we want him to be the lead of our life. And Lord, I just thank you for a community like the church. I thank you for the communities all over the place that, that um, follow you. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray a special prayer on this community today that we will go through our life with you as the focus. Easier said than done, Lord. Thank you for your son. I thank you for the word.